Albert by committee, essentially. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I think that, you know, this is not an easy thing to replace. And I, this is going to probably make people angry, but, you know, I don't care about that. I, I'm not seeking that outside the organization right now if I'm in charge. Please note this podcast and the conversation that follows was recorded before the late night zaniness that took Carlos Correa from more than $300 million with the San Francisco Giants to a stunning, surprising $300 million contract with the New York Mets. All the points made are still valid. Just change the teams and maybe put an emphasis on what the Mets are doing because uh, welcome to Steve Cohen's world. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. Joined this week at the end of the year with the guest everybody clamors for all year, and that is, of course, my good friend Kevin Wheeler of Camel Wax, the voice extraordinaire and co-host of the Dave Glover Show. Kevin, happy holidays. Hey, happy holidays to you, buddy. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's nice to have you here. Nice to close out a year with you. Nice to uh, close out the 10th year of the best podcast in baseball, though. I guess wow. the 10 the, years. Yeah. 10 years. Right. Yeah. Crap. Did they call them podcasts 10 years ago? I don't know. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> it's a long time ago. I think so. I think they called them podcasts because they were on iPods. Right. Or is there something yeah. more to it? No, I think that's where it would have started. So, yeah, that makes sense. OK. So, yeah. So the. This started back before AirPods, back when there was iPods, and you had yeah. to make sure they charged because, you know, airplane seats didn't have chargers. <laughs> what, what kind of decade was it? Uh, I think, you know, Kevin, the, the big story, the biggest story of the year for the Cardinals is obvious, right? As we come here to the end of 2022, it had to be five and 700, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess that, I guess so, right? Like, if you're going to, kind of tie things together i mean i think we could throw yachty in there as well but i mean i don't think it was anything close to what i expected derek i mean it was so much bigger than i expected um you know the the process with molina i think kind of went the way that you know i expected it to you knew he was you know i I didn't know he would miss time as much time as he did didn't know there would be the basketball uh (laughs) trip uh in in the mix but you figured t- playing time would diminish a little bit. You knew that he w- his bat wasn't what it used to be. I think the Molina side of it played out exactly as you would have kind of expected it to the beginning of the year. But holy crap, was Albert so much more. I mean, I I've, I felt like it was going to be almost ceremonial. You know, like we've got this guy back. It's it's not, not quite to the extent where, you know, you're going to do the one-day contract and retire. But it kind of felt to me like it was going to be – um, I don't know, kind of a coast to the finish, and we'll find him some playing time here and there. And then he just took over, which made it so much better. It, it's, I mean, it was really remarkable, right? Like one of the best second halves of his career. Obviously, yeah. the big number, he reaches 700, dramatic fashion there at Dodger Stadium. You know, I'm of a mind that he had to be a Dodger there for that stretch in 2021 for him to really be a Cardinal again. Like he had to go through the experience with the Dodgers after the angels for it to make sense and for how this year played out and his appreciation, Um, you know, the grins he had the last swing. I mean, just think about like (laughs) how storybook it is, right? His last swing against the Cubs is a home run to win a game. Yep. He hits 700 at Dodger stadium 
where he also was an all-star a few weeks earlier and was just celebrated by his peers, some of whom, no, not some, many of whom grew up imitating his stance. Right. Then he goes and hits 700, obviously, and then goes past 700, passes Stan Musial in total bases, passes Babe Ruth in RBIs, and then in his final swing of his career gets a base hit. He and Molina both I know. got base hits in their final swing. I mean, like, if you're – like, how do you write that? Is is there – I guess the way you write it is better is if they had a championship at the end. But right. as far as individual accomplishments, it's harder to think of a finer way – for one of the finest players ever to go out. You know, normally you don't get that opportunity, right? I mean, usually it's just somebody else telling you that it's over. Uh, your contract expires and all right, there's, you know, nobody's, there's no interest, you know, you're 40 plus or whatever. And you just kind of ride off into the sunset, which is kind of what it looked like it was going to be with Albert when he was with the angels. Right. It was like, boy, nobody can wait for this contract to end. And then, boy, that's going to be it when that contract ends. And it turned out that he got that nice little push with the Dodgers that showed like what the path could be towards getting production out of him. And I, I wonder, Derek, and I haven't honestly, I haven't even checked. So maybe this has been covered and reported uh, out of Anaheim. But I, I, I don't know. W- w- was he resistant to that kind of thing while he was there? Did they just not want to broach the subject with him when he was there? Because it would have seemed, um, I don't know, maybe uh demeaning to a, a veteran hall of famer like that um but whatever it was if not for that little stretch with the dodgers where they found this is a way to get production out of him this probably never happens so joe madden said that he talked to albert and the the idea was that look playing time is going to be less for you here and you'll be in a you know a part-time role and they'll find a way and that he was not thrilled about that uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. And he talked about some of them. One was, you know, they paid him to lead the team. So he expected to have playing time to right, lead the right. team. Um, he knew that, you know, the, the production wasn't there like it was 10 years before or 11 years before or 12 years before. He was going to go out and win the American League MVP. Um, but, you know, there, there's a certain element of pride there, right? In saying, yeah. like, look, yeah. I'm, I'm getting this paycheck. You've paid me to be a focal point of this team and now you're saying you won't give me that chance how do you, how do we square that circle um you know it, it it it's not a surprise that a change of scenery meant uh embracing a new rule right like right, he right. leaves the angels and it's like well here's the opportunity you have to adjust to the opportunity you're given and that was the one that he was given um you know he he had no idea it would work out so well because he hadn't experienced yet. And right. when that's the only one you have, and then you go, wait a minute, this would have been great. I don't know. You know, it's, it's the angels didn't you have that. Make. It's also a sacrifice you might make going to a contender as right. opposed to playing for a team that's eternally mediocre. Exactly. Well, I think that was also part of it too, is like, you know, he had some trust that the Dodgers would make it work. Right. right? right. I'm not sure you could have, I mean, there's no track record with the angels to say, yeah, this Correct. is going to work out. I mean, you know, or this is going to get you to October. So, yeah, yeah um, I think it's fascinating, you know, that, that it went that way. Obviously, it was such a boost for Cardinal fans. I think it made this team, it certainly, for the first time in a while, really gave Cardinal fans something that captured their imagination yeah. um, and yeah. just filled the ballpark for obvious things. Um, and also, it was such a big deal that we're, you know, seven minutes into this conversation 
about like things that happened in this past year, and we have not mentioned the fact that the Cardinals had two of the top three MVP <laughs> candidates. Yeah, I mean, yes, it's the career achievement that that kind of put it up front, right? I mean, and, right. and the coming home and all of that stuff. But it, it was a remarkable year beyond that. I mean, you know, we all know how good new coming into the year have known for years how good Goldschmidt and Arenado are. But for them to both be that good in the same year where they're going to finish uh, both in the top three and Goldschmidt's going to win the award, that part's hard to to predict, right? That That's the part that's hard to expect. But I think it does set an interesting standard now moving forward, right? Not that we expect those numbers from them every year, but you know that they have something that most teams don't, which is the two, two of the best of the best back-to-back right there in the batting order. Yeah, which is a good way to kind of spin forward a little bit and spend this conversation not so much about the year we just lived, but some of the things you want to see in the year ahead. What off? What right off the start do you think will define the Cardinals? What What do you think right now is going to determine the direction 2023 goes for the Cardinals? Uh, if I'm picking one thing, probably the outfield. Mm. the way the outfield performs offensively. I don't have any concerns defensively. I mean, they're all fine. They're all good and in some cases better than good. Um, but how O'Neill and Carlson and Newt Barr and eventually, you know, other guys will be in there too. Yepes, maybe Donovan, um, eventually, hopefully Jordan Walker too. But I, I think the production of the outfield and we can throw in Burleson and all the other guys that are in that, in that mix too. I think that's the difference because you already have, as we just talked about, two guys that are MVP candidates. You've now got one of the top few of the top offensive catchers in baseball with Contreras, and he fits right there in the middle of the order. Um, His numbers as a big leaguer are better than the average five-hole hitter typically is. So if he's hitting fifth, you're, you're, you're a significant upgrade there. I think the strength of the offense, and to me, therefore, the strength of the team is going to be about uh, what the outfield brings you offensively. What, what factor should Jordan Walker play in that? Great question. I mean, when he's ready, he plays, right? I mean, when when he shows you that there's no reason to hold him back, you'll find you have to find a spot for him. Now, there are a lot of variables that go into that, right? I mean, if 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 he doesn't dominate spring training, I can't imagine he's going to get the call right away. I mean, he would have it would seem like you would almost need a Pujols type spring training from when he was a rookie um, to to force it when you consider his age. Um, you know, limited time at AAA, you know, service time, like the whole, when you consider all of it, he, he would have to be pretty special to force that on opening day. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So then beyond that, it's about what you're getting. Right. So if the guys that we've mentioned are producing, well then, you know, it's going to be a tougher standard, but if somebody's struggling or two guys are struggling and he's down in Memphis and just dropping bombs, well, then I think it gets a lot easier to make that call and say, all right, buddy, here you go. Plug into right field. I, I could ask that question, probably go one by one through the outfield and say, what role must this guy play? And it's almost like a Mad Lib. So instead, I'll ask you, like, well, give me like a sense of the outfielders the Cardinals need to produce for, for that to kind of rise to the level you're talking about. Who's got to lead that charge? Um, I mean, I mean is, that, is that person on the roster? They better be. <laughs> if they're not, it's going to be a little bit. It, the, the lineup's going to be pretty top heavy. If they're not, um, I think it's O'Neill and and Carlson. And if I had to put more weight on one than the other, to me, it's Carlson because really? he's, he's the center fielder. 
I mean, you know, Newt Bar can play there. I'm not as comfortable with him there as I am with Carlson there. Um, and I, I got, I'm, I'm a fan of Newt Bar. He has a skill set that plays, right? He's got some power. He gets on base. You know, when you've got the on-base percentage more than 100 points better than the batting average uh, in your first stretch as a big leaguer, that's a really good sign. There's a lot to like about him, but it's a very limited number of at-bats. I mean, we're talking about like 350 plate appearances. So it's really hard to know exactly what's real because you had the guy that struggled for a bit and then you had the guy that was just on fire in the second half of the year. Um, so I, I think that's still more of a question. Carlson has to be legitimate, in my, in my opinion. He has to be because you don't have that many other guys that you can plug into center. Burleson can't play center. Newt Barr is the one that would have to. I guess Tyler O'Neill could. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if O'Neill struggles, you can put Donovan out there. You can put uh, Yepes out in left field. You can put Burleson out in left field. I just think you have more ways to cover if O'Neill's not good. I think it gets a lot tougher if Carlson's bad. Well, let's let's then dive into that a little bit. Like, give me a sense of who has the highest ceiling production wise and take into account defense, because not yeah. too long ago, Tyler O'Neill appeared on MVP ballots and had a gold glove. So yep. what, what's this? Where is the where's the highest kind of ceiling for the guys who has the most potential? Of oh, of outfielders. Best. Yeah, O'Neill has the best offensive potential, right? He's sure, the but one I'm talking guy, all around. Yeah, I mean, he's the guy that could go 30-20. Hell, he could probably mm-hmm. go 30-30 if he chose to run enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you you, you know the power is legit. You know the athleticism is is legit. But, you know, he's had four years in the big leagues. Now, he hasn't been a regular everyday player in all of those four years. So, you know, it's it, it's a little bit misleading. But he's been a below average hitter in f- in three of those of those fi- of those four years. Or, but, I mean, actually, uh, what now? It's five years. So in three of the five years, he's been a below average hitter combining them. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. There's there, he's to me he's like a, a low floor, high ceiling guy based on what we've seen at the big league level, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're right. The ceiling is he's a top five, top ten MVP candidate because you know he's an elite defender. You know he's a great base runner and he's fast, and you know he's got thirty homer power. Um, so he's got the highest ceiling, um, but also, you know, he's he, he's he's older. So what's he got? Another what year or two years left before he can two hit years. free agency? Two years left two. before he can hit free agency. Where you know a guy like Carlson, who by nature of being a center fielder, and also by the way being a first round draft pick, who was a top one hundred prospect and all that, I think you know there's no question in my mind that O'Neill has the higher upside for like if everything clicks. Well, it's 2021. We know exactly what it looks like. Hmm. Um, with Carlson, I don't know that we know that, but I think the positional importance, and not to mention the fact that he's a switch hitter, and you got a largely right-handed heavy lineup, that would be very helpful if he's like I, I don't even know what, how to describe it. If he's just even close to what we thought he was going to be, and I'm not writing him off by the way. He's very young, I and mean, it's not it's not crazy to think that um, it takes a little while to adjust. And even last year with the struggles, he was a league average hitter. Uh, roughly. So, you know, that's not the end of the world, but when you're a first round draft pick and you were as highly rated as he is, he needs to be more than that. I think, I think 2021 needs to be the floor for him. How, well, how do you factor in, I mean, the injury? Like, look, he was on the upswing and then yeah. got hit on his head. No, I mean, it, it's a factor, but I mean, I, I'd say that. Oh, no, the- I'm sorry. Got, he felt it on a backswing. Sorry. Right, so, right. It was Tyler O'Neill that got hit on the hand. My fault. I would say that there's no question it, it comes into the conversation, right? Just like all of O'Neill's injuries come into the equation. You know, 
one thing about 2021 for O'Neal is he was fi- he was healthy. Mm-hmm. I mean, for the mo- I mean, played 138 games. He had over 500 plate appearances. I know he missed some time, but not that much. And this year it was 96 games. You know, and he's had those problems in the past of of being injured, which is of course part of what scares you about him moving forward too. Um, is if he's this young and has had this kind of nagging stuff pop up every year, in some cases more than once in a year, it's a little bit worrisome. Um, but I'd say that, yeah, I factor that in with Carlson, but still, even when he's not been healthy, it's been very uneven. You know, there'll be stretches where he's really good. There'll be stretches where he's not. And there's also the whole platoon split thing mm-hmm. where even if you consider all that against left-handers, he's been elite as a major league hitter. I mean, he's what, 35, 40% above league average, yeah. not almost a 900 OPS against lefties and under 700 and below league average against righties. So, you know, we're getting to the point where it's enough of a sample size to say that's at least a concern going into this year. Yeah, sure. If he, you know, you mentioned center field as being so prominent for him because of the alternatives out there. What about batting second? Is that the same kind of thing? If the Cardinals could find somebody who hit second, or or do they already have that guy? I think they have two of them that can do it depending on how they want to structure it. And I know, actually, one of my favorite things last year, Derek. Uh, I mean, about, is that like saying they have two quarterbacks, though? Like, you know, like a team has two quarterbacks, they don't have either. Because I think the other one bats leadoff, in my opinion. <laughs> well, that's my point, though. Like, that kind of, like, you know, you're saying, well, they got two number two hitters. Okay, well, one of them has to bat leadoff. Sure. Well, that suggests they have neither. Uh, not necessarily, because I don't really I don't really have a preference about which goes where, but I would hit Newt Barr and Donovan at the top of the order against righties and that and not even hesitate. And then Edmund up there against lefties and then against lefties, Edmund bats leadoff and maybe Donovan goes there. Maybe Carlson goes there. You know, I mean, you go true platoon split and you go Edmund and Carlson against the lefty. Get them up there as many times as you can against the lefty. I sure. think they have really good solutions. And that's actually something that stood out to me from last year that makes me really interested in this going into this year is I liked how how Ali Marmol played all of this. Mm-hmm. I like how he was willing to make those decisions to say, all right, here's what you're doing well. Here's what the matchups say. Here's our lineup today, as opposed to what we've seen in the past uh, with some stubbornness in that regard, um, where, you know, when Edmund's struggling or you're facing a string of righties, he would still be up there even though he wasn't hitting. I thought Marmel did a really nice job of moving that around, and that's why I'm not that worried. I think you have two different sets of guys that should hit at the top depending on the starting pitcher. Um, I want the 400 on-base guy in one of those spots, right? I mean, Brendan Donovan is your best on-base guy, period, end of argument. He should mm-hmm. be in one of those two spots for sure. And again, Newt Barr is certainly look like looks like an on-base guy based on last year, and he can run a little bit too. So the the idea of of those two against righties and Edmund or and, and Carlson against lefties gets you a really good start leading into Goldie Arenado and Contreras, and then you follow that with the guys where you're hoping for the upside, right? And I don't know many teams are going to look at six, seven, eight, nine, and have options like Tyler O'Neill and Juan Yepes and Dylan Carlson and and Nolan Gorman as guys that are going to hit in the bottom half of the order that could all be 25, 30 homer guys. Interesting. What what did you make of the offense this past year? Because you could fixate, obviously, on the postseason and say how subpar it was. Or you could look at the whole season and say, well, it cracked the top five in a lot of categories. Where did you fall on it? I mean, your your 162-game sample tells you way more than a playoff series. 
right? I mean, if you're that good for that long, that's that's what matters in the regular season. I think you do have to have account for the possibility that in the future, in the playoffs, if Goldie or Arenado are cold or dinged up or whatever, you're or very neutralized. Yes, or neutralized, but it, that's going to be hard to do because they they pretty much hit everybody. Um, and if and they're you not just pitch around them, sure, well, sure, sure. But even then, you had a, a red hot Albert Pujols hitting right mm-hmm. behind them. So you know you were very, very, very heavy with the amount of production that were carried by two guys. And that's why I said the outfield is the most important part going in, because if those guys are good, if you can get O'Neill and Carlson and and Yepes slash Gorman, if you if those four guys are even moderately productive, that's a really good six, seven, and eight. Like how many people have a guy uh, like if Tyler O'Neill is good, Tyler O'Neill? How many teams have a guy like that hitting sixth? If yeah. if if Yepes and Gorman are a good DH combination, and I know they'll move around and not just play there, but I'm just using that as an example. If they're a good DH combination, I mean, those two guys combined for 26 home runs last year. Yeah. I mean, it's Philadelphia does. In, in, Atlanta in, in, does. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. But not many people have a, not many teams are going to have a seven hole that might be 25 to 30 home runs. Philadelphia you, might. Yeah, sure. Again, but not that many. Right. And then when you can, when you know when when your worst hitter against righties is Tommy Edmond, that's pretty good. I mean, yeah. you know, he, I mean he he's you know at the very least you know he's going to give you something, and it's not like he has to play every single game, which is what having these other guys around gives you the flexibility to move a bit. But these are all ifs, right? And that's why I I kind of pointed to the outfield because I feel like I feel pretty confident in what Brendan Donovan is. I don't really have any worries. I think he he's the same guy as a major leaguer that we saw him be in the minor leagues and in the Arizona Fall League. Yeah. He's not going to hit a ton of homers, but he's going to hit for a decent average. He's going to get on base. And and obviously, he can play some defense. And he can play some defense at a number of positions, which makes him super valuable. Not worried about Goldie, Arenado, Contreras. I think we know what those three guys are on average You know, when you're going into a given year. Um, that's why, to me, it comes down to those outfielders. And then certainly the the DH position, regardless of how you structure it. Uh, yeah. regardless of whether it's primarily, you know, Gorman and Yepes or it's just, you know, a bunch of guys rotating. But I think they need those two guys to both be productive. It's really interesting to talk about last year's offense because you could, and and rightfully so, kind of say, well, it, f- it was fixated around three guys, right? The two yeah. guys who yeah. finished top three in the MVP and then the otherworldly second half by Albert Pujols. That does, though, diminish the fact that like one of the best walk rates, highest OBPs in the second half belonged to Newt Bar. Yeah, that yeah. does diminish the fact that Brendan Donovan was one of the more consistent on base, you know, performers there in the second half. And I mean, was, he had to be near the top of the league for the season, right? Yes, he was near the top of the league for the season. And then you had Tyler O'Neill, who was a Player of the Month candidate in August, and just was outdone by three teammates. So as far as power goes. So you do, you know, there was obviously the ingredients there of a far deeper lineup than, you know, Mm -hmm. isolated around three guys. But we began this conversation by talking about all that Albert Pujols did. And now Albert Pujols has walked out the door, which I I find just like poetically fascinating (laughs) that 11 years later, they're they're looking for. Yeah, yeah, you're back to the same thing. How do you replace Albert Albert Pujols? What is this, 2011 again? Yeah. Well, so, you know, to kind of continue that thing, I mean, the Carlos Beltran walking through the door, you're saying is 
the outfield or does Contreras help with that? I think Contreras provides that. Maybe not the exact same numbers that Beltron did. And they're different players, you know. I mean, they're different um, players. Beltron's yep. a higher OBP guy and all of that, but one's uh, a catcher. Right, right. But I, I think that that I think that's the, that presence in the middle of the order who's a guy that's a veteran, been on winning teams, gonna hit 20, 25 home runs. Um, will drive in runs based on opportunities. Certainly not going to hit for a high average. That's not Wilson Contreras. But I think he he re, he replaces, what would you say, Derek? 80% of what you got from Albert? Offensively. Offensively. I mean, obviously, again, different defensively. Yeah. Um, so if he gives you 80% of that, then it's up to those other guys to start making up the difference. And um, I, I think you're right about Newt Barr. I don't think we should... I, it, the only thing that makes me hold back on getting super excited is just small sample size, right? I mean, we're talking about essentially two months. But, my God, when you look at the batted ball numbers, <laughs> when you look at the the average exit velos and the hard hit rate and the walk rate yeah. and the fact that the strikeout no, rate is not that bad, I mean, like, there's so you can see why they decided they want to give him everyday playing time because if you look at his profile um, on Baseball Savant, it, it, that, that's the profile of an all-star. When you click on yeah. someone and all you see are red and white dots, that's that's a really good player. The only question is, how much can we read into the fact that it was mostly two months? Keith Costas, who joined from MLB Network, who was on the episode of the BPIB before you, he likened him to a Marlins Yelich. I mean, he, he's he look he's got the body right. I mean, they're the same guy. I mean, he doesn't have the quite that same swing though, no, which maybe about. then has more durability, right? Like I you think about like more that. athletic to me. I mean, wow. he I think he moves better. He runs better. I don't remember I don't know, exactly man. how Yelich ran like speed, like actual speed when he was young. Uh but I know that uh, he covered center ranked, field in that yeah, big old Miami uh, ballpark. Let's see. Let's try to flash back here to um oh no yeah when when he was Are young, you gonna do the Wayne's world Thing? Uh, I, yeah. uh, no, you're right, Derek. Uh, you go back to 2015, 2016. Yelich was a top 10% sprint speed guy, and yeah. and Newt Bar is in the top 25%. So, so yeah, okay. Yelich was better, a better speed. I don't know. He moves differently. I'll say that. Yeah. But I agree. I would agree that Yelich has the the prettier swing, um, the more classic swing, if you would say that. But yeah. I mean, I think that's also a, a corkscrew swing. So yeah. maybe there's durability there for a new bar. Who knows? For sure. Yeah, for sure. And and but they have a similar body structure, right? New bar's a little thicker mm-hmm. um, than y- young Yelich. But again, young Yelich was up when he was like 21, right? Yeah. Uh, new bar broke in at 24, 25. So I think there's a a, a comparison there. Uh, I wouldn't forecast MVP type year for for Newt bar down the road. But what you've seen, well, he's not going to go to the Brewers. Right. Good point. Uh, <laughs> and what you've seen, though, is is definitely demanding that everyday playing time. What you saw there coming in, you know, coming out of last year and now coming into this year, you have to give him 500 at bats and see what happens. Yeah. Newpar has sustainable numbers from the second half that yeah, stand yeah. out. Like he hit oh, the ball you're hard change. when he hit it. Yeah. That walk, rate, that walk rate is what keeps afloat so yep. much of what he does. You know, yeah, it shows that he was patient. And then when he got the pitches that he want, he pounded them. Yeah, he. he in, I mean, the walk rate is something that is definitely a part of a player's characteristics, but it can it's also oxygen build. for an outfield sure. or for a, for an offensive player. It can also be there's an element of of luck to it, right, with the pitcher's opponent. But what's not luck is what you do do and don't chase, and he doesn't chase. Um, what's not luck is that he doesn't swing and miss a lot. His mm-hmm. whiff rate well above average. 
So yeah. when you're adding all of those things up, there's you're right. There's no question the profile is there of an everyday player who can hit number one, number two in the batting order. Let me present to you a notion that it's faulty logic to suggest that, well, not faulty logic, but it's faulty preparation to say that Contreras replaces Pujols. Okay. Because hear me out. The Cardinals are going from a significantly below average near the bottom of the league production at catcher. Right. And they're going to go towards the top of the league. Oh, yeah, yeah. Top five, right? By far. So, I mean, it's going to be whiplash of production Mm -hmm. at that position. Mm -hmm. Isn't the way to make the offense better to take a negative and turn it into a all-star positive? Yes. And then count on getting Pujols' production from somewhere else. Yeah. Isn't that a better way to build the yes. lineup? It's a better way to think about it. And and like you said, I mean, that DH spot is certainly not going to belong to one guy. But Yepes and Gorman and Burleson and those guys would be the ones that have to make up Albert's production, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're not going to make up his rate production. We can't expect them to be near a 900 OPS combined. Um, I think that would be a bit much. Uh, we can't expect them. I mean, you look and you look at his numbers, his batted ball numbers. I, we can't expect that. But what if those guys can simply get to 70, 80 percent of what Albert was? And by the way, you're also not going to have Albert essentially getting what sixty percent of a, of a, of the DH positions at bats for the full year. Right. I mean, when you when you add it all together, like you'll get more volume from the guys that you'll plug in there. You won't get the rate that you that those guys plugged in that, you know, plugging those guys in for Albert, though, because what he did in the second half was just insane. Albert by committee, essentially. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I think that, you know, this is not an easy thing to replace. And I, this is going to probably make people angry, but, you know, I don't care about that. I, I'm not seeking that outside the organization right now if I'm in charge. Really? I'm not. I, How come? Who, who, well, first of all, um, unless I'm trading one of the players that I'm talking about, unless I'm trading O'Neill or Carlson to get the more known commodity uh, offensively, mm-hmm. I, I I don't want to bury any of these guys. I don't want to mm-hmm. bury Gorman. I don't want to bury. I mean, Gorman could be 25 home runs by himself. Mm-hmm. I would I would have considered trade. Now again, if he's if he's part of a trade to get a proven player, okay, I can live with that. Right. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about signing a Conforto or somebody like that um, and and basically taking this group and blocking somebody every single day. Because, you, oh, I mean, ahead. if you're going to look at the lineup now, who comes out? If you're looking at like if, if we're bringing somebody in from the outside without trading someone, because, again, trade changes everything. If you're trading for Brian Reynolds. Cool. <laughs> I can subtract any of these guys for Brian Reynolds, right? Right. I mean, like, right. all good. Uh, but I'm talking of the free agents. Of the free agents, which who who out there boots any of these players from the lineup that's available now? None that was available. Right. I could see. I could. You could make some arguments. I mean, for you could make an you could make an argument that Cody Bellinger would be the center fielder on this team, right? I mean. All right. I mean, what what are we getting though? He was one of the worst everyday players in baseball last he year. Was. He was. He was, but he but he was a good center fielder. That's so, fine. I mean, but he I was mean, worse. The, let's put it this way. He was worse than everybody you had. Yeah. That's he I mean was, it's he fair. Was significantly worse than even even Dylan Carlson. 
and you're putting him in a ballpark that might suppress it even worse. I mean, I, you know, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that like gambling on that. I I mean, if I'm doing it, it's gotta be a yes. It's gotta be, this is an upgrade. No questions asked. Otherwise I want to see what this group does because, and this is another part. People are going to get mad at me. It's fine. You might disagree. I don't think there's another team in this division that can win the central with, with, with all teams having reasonably equal health. You know, I, I want to I want to discuss that here later. Yeah. I want to kind of close with that, but way to tease okay. the end. Yeah, yeah, but that's part of my logic here is I think you're winning this division. Maybe you know better what you need in June and July than now. Well, we know what they'll need in June and July. But we don't know what these people are going to be. If you get 2021 Tyler O'Neill and you get 2021 Dylan Carlson and then Yepes and Gorman are just solid, let's call it slightly above average, you don't need to go get anybody. You're, you're probably going to need pitching at that point. And you probably- they always need pitching. Like we've seen this movie before. Exactly. Yes, you know, exactly. It's it's the Star Wars trilogy. We've seen it before <laughs> every year. Yeah, you're always going to you know? need it. Somebody's going down. Somebody. Well, and they don't over. have any pitching for 2024, so they'll go shopping yep. for guys that they have another year of control. You know, it's sure. going to. We're going to talk a lot about Pablo Lopez this year, I think. Right, which is partly why I don't want to do anything now. That's going to limit what I can do later unless it's a very clear and very obvious. Yes, this is a productive player that will fill a need and he's really good, like like Brian Reynolds, that kind of guy. I present to you that the one position other than catcher where there was a clear yes, where they could have gone out and made a significant move that was an obvious starter was shortstop. And for a second sure. consecutive year, they chose not to. Well, With I mean, all the world talent available. Watch. Right. But, well, I'm, I'm sure the answer is another one that's going to make people angry. And I'm not saying I totally agree with this response or with with this logic, but it's the cost. Do I you mean, think that, that's Anthony reasonable? Swan has basically been a solid above average player. And he's getting $26 million a year on a yeah. long term deal. I mean, He's not that much of an upgrade over what you have. Right. Why well, he's I, getting the deal that they wouldn't give Chris Bryant, who won MVP. Yeah, I mean, like, why? Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. But, like, why would – I mean, when I compare Dansby Swanson to Tommy Edmond, yeah, look, I'd rather have Dansby Swanson. He's a better He's a better defensive shortstop than Edmond, in my opinion. Even though Edmond's fine there and elite at second, I think Dansby is a better defensive shortstop He's certainly going to hit a lot more home runs. I mean, that's a bigger part of his game. Mm-hmm. But when you consider the, the the simplest of measurements, wins above replacement, there isn't there isn't anywhere near a twenty two million dollar a year difference between those two players. There, there is, is no way I would have spent that on Dansby Swanson. Zero. But you the guy who of all the shortstops who have hit the market over the last two years, you picked the guy at the tail end i guess you would argue between him and Baez. well he was the least expensive so but some of those guys are expensive because they're yes super talented well i i would make the i would i would i would much rather make the argument um for myself like if i'm making it i would rather try to convince myself to pay pay correa um than to pay swanson i mean correa is at least yeah a really high-end bat right i mean he's a legitimate three-hole hitter you know, or two, three, four, where you could put him anywhere in the in the most critical critical spots in the order, and he's fine. Like I can understand that, but that's also like that's stupid money. That's money that they wouldn't give Albert back in the day when Albert was the. And I don't mean I'm talking like 
$2,011 compared to $2022, right? Gotcha. That's the kind of contract they weren't going to give to the arguably the second greatest player in franchise history. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's more money in the game now. For sure. Um, teams well, are spending more. Contract. Yeah. yeah. We're in the honeymoon period after a labor stoppage, yeah. so naturally there's some of that. Um, you know, some of the big markets are spending big. One of the smaller markets is spending big in San Diego. Yep. So, you know, you, you have – you have giants acting like giants and owners spending to what was the Philadelphia Phillies owners phrase? Crazy money. Yeah. Stupid or money. Stupid money. Stupid money. Yeah. yeah. So you have that. I mean, look, I, I think I think it's fascinating because to me, Dansby Swanson's value is a shortstop as he ages yeah. in that contract. If he's yeah. not shortstop. He's not going to provide the offense at third base. He's not going yep. to provide the offense. I'm not sure he provides base. that offense from the beginning. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, it's power, right? I mean, it's it. He has power sure. that other guys. But don't last year was a career club. year. It was. He had, he had never had um, production relative to league average like that for a full year until no. last year. Correct. But uh, Carlos Correa, he's going to produce, or at least his trend line is, he's going to produce yeah. regardless of the position he plays. If he plays shortstop yep. now, he'll still hit good enough to play third base later. Or even Manny Machado. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or wherever. Uh, Trey Turner, he, he now his speed may he may age to less yep. speed, but the style of game he plays, the you know, it will play at shortstop, will play at second, will play in center field for a while, right? I mean, yeah. we the, if Trey Turner's like if the autumn of Trey Turner's career is he's Chase Utley, that's really good, right? Yeah, but he's not that kind of hitter. Like he's no, not, but, he's, but that, he could be like the total offensive package, though. Like, and by that I mean style of hitter, not quality. I mean, obviously Turner's an right. MVP caliber hitter. I'm not um, saying style of hitter, but like I'm talking about like runs created and second baseman. He could do that. Yeah, yeah. and I I don't think that again. I I would much easier make the argument for Correa and Turner. So uh, did the Cardinals miss the boat here? Did the Cardinals go zero for two in? in a spot where like to your, to use your phrase, there was a, yes, there was a clear upgrade. Did they, did they, is this going to be a time where five, seven years from now you look back and go, man, Cardinals had a crack or they could have been involved in some of the best shortstops ever to hit free agency. Yeah. And they bowed out twice. I don't know. Um, Cause I, I thought it was a mistake to not pay Albert at the time. And five years in that looked like the smartest thing anybody had ever done. Right. I mean, that, that's the problem, right? And that's why they don't do it. I, again, I'm not, I think they could and easily should. But if you're doing that, you're certainly not doing Contreras, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I think we we just you're, – you're you're going lower level there. You're just going, you know – You're trading for Sean Murphy and you're signing yeah, – Are you are you really giving up a lot of players for Murphy? Well, they didn't think they, they, didn't think they were going to. Like, like, the ask from the Oakland Athletics was a lot. And sure. clearly I mean, the Cardinals thought they could talk them to something else. But are you going to give up that a lot and spend $340 million? Well, they would have gotten Swanson or at least made a play for him. Yeah. So it wouldn't I, have been that much. I don't know, man. I, I'm not, I don't love the Swanson one. I, I would, I mean, I, lo- I like the player a lot. He's a really good player, but he's not that good. Turner's that good. Correa is that good. Xander Bogarts is that good. Xander Bogarts uh, is a really good hitter. Yes. And that might be the argument. But again, look how far they had to go to get him to sign. Yeah. I mean, if Xander Bogarts was on a seven or eight year deal, that's a perfect thing because, again, 
If he's not a shortstop in two or three or four years, fine. He's a DH. He's a first baseman. He's a third baseman. He can hit anywhere. Um, I mean, like that's the argument for Trent Turner and for Correa. And that's why I'm much more willing to have that conversation. Uh, the Swanson thing doesn't do anything for me. But now the, the question I would argue, have is, is what does that deal do to you next year and the year after and the year after? Are you now limited? Are you now basically stuck? Um, you know, because you've got three spots and I know, you know, Goldie will be what he's got two more years. Mm-hmm. So for the next two years, you'd be looking at basically no room to add significant players unless they were willing to significantly expand the payroll, which I think they can. <laughs> I'm just not convinced they will. Well, it's got to get to 200 at, at some, some point, point in the next few years. Sure, I, would, even, I would argue it's got to get there with the openings in the starting rotation. They're going to have to realize well, starting is, pitching has only gone up. This, this is kind of my point that I'm getting to because – it, it, even if you let, let, let me, let's say you don't do Contreras and you do Murphy and then you you give out uh, any of these other contracts, you're now limiting your ability to replace all those starting pitchers because you're you're already. I mean, with what they where, where are they at right now, Derek? 180 after all of the well after Contreras and all of that. Yeah, about 177 ish. That, that's estimating cases yeah. and all that. Yeah. Um, so let, let's call it 175. Sure. Twenty-five million only fills one rotation spot. No, you're right, and you're going to have three or four. Now, at some point, one of the young guys will probably plop in there, whether it's Libertor or Graceffo or McGreevy or something like. One of those will probably be at least one will be from within. Um, mm-hmm. Who knows? And there, in their world, they would love it to be two, right? Um, and then you you don't have that that much less that you're going to have to actually fill, but. Even if it's even if you only have to fill two spots from the outside, if you're getting the top of the rotation guys, you're talking about twenty five a year each minimum, mm-hmm. unless yeah. you're doing the short big deal and doing a Max Scherzer forty four million dollar kind of thing. I just yeah. don't see how they can do that based on how they operate. I'm not. I'm not saying they can't. I think they can. I mean, I think there's more money there than than uh, you know. You you've ri- you've written about it for years. I've talked about it for years. There's money there. But are they going to drive their payroll to 220? Isn't that what it takes to compete it in might. the National League? It you might. brought up the National League Central. Yep. And, you know, what have teams done to close the gaps on the Cardinals? Do you think the Brewers are perceptibly better adding the younger Contreras in that deal, which is a good score for them, really good score? But are they perceptibly better with that move? Are the Cubs better by adding Swanson and Bellinger and Boxberger? Are the Cubs better? I mean, they're better than they were, but who's hitting for the Cubs? I mean, like their three four hole hitters are Hap and Seiya. That's like that's not exactly inspiring, <laughs> right? Yeah, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, like I, I mean, think Swanson's the three hitter, right? I mean, he's in there somewhere, right? Who, you know, structure it two, three, four, however you want. It's probably Swanson, Hap, and Suzuki in some order or another. Um, and you know, they're all good, but. They're not that guy. And you, what, what you would need for the Cubs to be even remotely competitive now, Bellinger has to be MVP Bellinger. If he's that, you might be able to nip away with some depth, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But even then, I mean, who, who's the first baseman right now? Al- Alfonso Rivas? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Patrick Wisdom? You know, I mean, they don't have a third baseman right now. They don't have a DH right now. 
Um, so maybe they fill those out, but their their rotation is all basically a bunch of three, four, five guys. There's nobody there that's inspiring that's going to be like, yep, that's the guy you don't want to face. Yeah. Um, I think they're, but they're better though. I think that's important. And plus, honestly, do they even have a bullpen? They they do. Um, it's where they dance. <laughs> I mean, like Boxberger's kind of a nice veteran signing. Yeah, that's a good. That's he, you know, that's I a mean, sneaky good signing. Rowan Wick's okay. He's fine. I mean, yeah. like you know, he throws hard at the back end. Uh, the the lefty Hughes was pretty good last year. Yes, but I mean, much. it's not it's not like they have a lot of do like their bullpen's not a winning bullpen right now. The rotation is mediocre. The defense looks pretty good. The lineup looks below average to me. Now again, there's time to change that. But I think one thing that's true is they're better. They're going to be a tougher team to beat this year than they were last year. Are the Brewers any better? uh, To me, they're about the same. Um, Yeah. I mean, you're a lot thinner in the bullpen, man. I mean, outside of Devin Williams, uh, maybe. I mean, does Matt Bush count at 37? Does he count as a known commodity in the bullpen? Because outside of Devin Williams, there's not a lot in that pen at the moment that you're like, yep, that's a dude. But they always mm-hmm. seem to find them. Like they've been pretty good at that. So and maybe I'm not. Maybe I shouldn't doubt that. And maybe Hauser's out there this right now. And you know, if if, if he's not in the rotation, but um, or maybe Ashby kind of stays in the pen and becomes that you know hater type dude. Could see um, that. Although he, than, I mean, Hauser's got to be really good for them. Hauser's kind of their Dakota Hudson. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I mean, I I don't think their bullpen is as scary as it used to be. The rotation's really good. That's um, okay. Yeah, I mean, the top two are really good. I mean, you got two Cy Young contenders, and yeah. Peralta's pretty good too. Uh, but I, I, on the lineup, you're again, you're you're bound, you're counting on a lot. You're counting on um, Rowdy Tellez to repeat what was a career year. You're you're uh, you're relying on William Contreras to maintain what he did in Atlanta, which he might, but mm-hmm. he's also not a good defensive catcher. Um, so if he's catching a lot, that you're probably taking a hit there. Um, Yelich is just an on-base guy at this point. Uh, Winker is a total gamble. He's coming yeah. off injuries, and he just had surgeries, and he was terrible in Seattle, and apparently terrible in the clubhouse too. Um, I, I mean, eh? I mean, Arias is powerful, but not a good hitter. I like this guy Mitchell, though. I like Garrett Mitchell. I'm really interested to see what he might be. I think he could sure. be pretty good. So if he's pretty good, that might help. But again, I think their lineup is fine, but it's certainly not scary. You can put the guy in there. Does he give you pause at all? that the Cubs could have just kept Nico Horner at shortstop, but instead spent a gajillion dollars on Swanson and didn't go after Wilson Contreras. Does that give you pause at all? A little bit. Yeah, a little bit, but it it almost struck me like they just wanted to move on from the previous group. Yeah. He's the last of it. Well, I guess Kyle Hendricks. They moved on from every one of those position players. Everyone. And which is funny because when they won the World Series, like this core of position players is going to make the Cubs a potential dynasty. Well, <laughs> they're all gone. Um, I don't know what it tells me. I mean, m- maybe that is something to do specifically with Wilson. I- I've never, I've never heard anybody say that he's not a winning player. Yeah. I mean, David Ross has said very much the opposite. Um, people that competed against him have said very much the opposite. And since they've also made the same moves with Rizzo and Bryant and, and like I said, every one of those other core players, Schwarber, um, I'm not sure that it says as much about the player as it does the Cubs. Mm. And that, yeah. and also probably tells me that they struck out on Correa, Bogarts, Turner, and we're like, well, we got to do something. 
and we've got money burning a hole in our pocket. So we don't want to get killed. So we got to add a, a significant player. And look, Dansby's a really good player. But I feel like that contract might be the Hayward contract. Because mm. that, keep in mind, like, think about I know one's a shortstop and one's a corner outfielder, but there's a lot of similarity between them when it comes to not really sure what you're going to get long term offensively coming off the biggest year of their career. Because Hayward was coming off his best big league year with the Cardinals uh, as a hitter, I mean. And you know, a top end defender and all of that, man. I wonder if that doesn't look like the Hayward deal in a couple of years. While we're recording this, and it won't go up for a while, so this will be old news by the time we talk about Matt Carpenter's got a deal with the Padres, according to MLB.com. Nice. Yeah, he's going to be the versatile. So, which which brings us back to your now Matt Carpenter aside, your description of of where things are in the division brings us back to what you were talking about. The Cardinals don't have to do much to win the division. Um, you could argue that they, I mean, they, they have the two best players in the division. Yep. You could argue that they potentially could have the four best players in the division. I don't think that's a big stretch. You probably right. could argue that they'll have the four highest war players in the division, yeah. which is just mind boggling to think about. Um, but it also like to me brings us to a point where they need to make a new year's resolution. The yeah. Cardinals need to stop trying to win the NL central. Because that doesn't matter as much anymore. Yep. And if 20 th- 2022 taught us anything with the playoffs set up, is it could be beneficial, especially for the Cardinals, especially without like top end rotation guys, like I don't know, like a Nola, for example. Yeah. Um, if you don't have that guy, avoid that first round. Get to a round where your depth of pitching yeah. can be valuable. And to do that, you got to finish top two. And in the National League, that is brutal. It's just brutal. And you're going to have less games against the Reds, less games against the Pirates to do it. I don't think the new schedule is going to like radically change things for the Cardinals because they're still going to get, you know, the the time to play against the White Sox and you yeah. know, teams of their size. It's not like I, I think it's going to change things for teams like the Diamondbacks, who can suddenly look up and breathe a little bit that they don't have the you know all those games against the Dodgers, Padres, and Giants, and instead they're going to get the the White Sox and you know Cleveland and Detroit and those teams. But for the Cardinals, I, I think like you know twenty twenty three is the time to aim a little higher than the NL Central. Am I off on that? No, no, I, I think so. But um, my question is, which is the most effective way to know exactly what you're going to need to do? Is it to use your bullets now? Or is it to say, we're, we're going to win this division assuming we have reasonably good health. I'm going to know better what I need in June than I do right now. Because I'm going to know then what's Tyler O'Neill doing? What's Lars mm-hmm. Nudbar doing? What's Yepes doing? What's Gorman doing? What's Carlson doing? And and by the way, how's Where does Wayno? fit in? Yeah. yeah. How, how's Wayno? What's Miles Michaelis looking like? Uh, yeah. How's Montgomery? Is Jack Flaherty healthy? And I think the problem now is to solve these problems. Now you're going to have to go really big on more than one thing. Um, and you might end up solving a problem that doesn't need to be solved, or that isn't a problem to begin with. And then missing out on that opportunity later in the year. Cause my biggest critique of the Cardinals, essentially Derek, as far back as I can remember now, it's at least 10 years, maybe more. Well, actually let's go back the last time they did something that I'm about to talk about of any significance was 2011. They have always been hesitant to do anything of note in season. And I think mm. that's what needs to change. I, they, I don't have a problem with how they run their off seasons. I don't have a problem with giving 
some younger players runway to see if they can play. But sometimes in season, you need to make big moves. You need to go make the big move that's going to get you over the top and maybe make you that World Series contender. And right now, they can, and I'm sure they're doing this, uh, they'll make the argument, hey, we really like what we have. I mean, we've got six starting pitchers, and that's not even counting our prospects like Libertor and Graceffo and all of those guys. Um, we, we like the depth of our bullpen. Look at all these options we have for the everyday lineup. Um, and they're, they're right about that. But it's not a yes. It's it's not a certainty. Mm. And so so it's there's nothing illogical about wanting to see how that plays out, as long as you're willing to adapt aggressively once you see what is and isn't working. Yeah, and in 2011 they traded their starting center fielder. Right. You know, I mean, you they can made, make the argument 2009 was the last time that they made a deal that like fortified. Right. To go get Matt Holiday. To go get a cleanup hitter and Matt Holiday. Right. Right. But I mean, at least in 2011, what they did was. Get rid of a problem, clear up playing time for a better player for what they were John trying Jay. to do on yeah. Jay. But also, they needed the pitchers. Right, they were they did. desperate for arms, and they went out and got seventy four arms in those deals. And they by did. the way, that's part of what allowed them to even get to the postseason. I just think that we look back on twenty eleven a little differently because they won the World Series. They made a very similar deal this past year. Let's, I mean, they traded their center fielder for arms. Right, I mean, it's the same. They traded Bader, cleared up playing time for a player who they thought was better and got in arms. It's the same thing. Yeah. It just had a different ending. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's fascinating to see how you do like the, the timing of things and how you do them rather than what you do. And I, I think, you know, if, if they're going to be contending with these other bigger teams, mm-hmm. um, they're probably not, they're probably not going to match payrolls, Derek. I mean, again, whether they yeah. should or shouldn't, they're probably not going to match the Mets, the Phillies, the Dodgers, and those kinds of teams. So then what you can Padres, do... Padres, Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Atlanta's is like all bargain deals, though. Like every one of their players... And there's signed. still 50 million more than the... I mean, they got the they got the roster the Cardinals wish they had. Yep. But, you know, well, as far as like young, controllable, guys. homegrown yeah. players. But goodness. That's because the young guys that they had are stars. Yeah. No, they I developed mean, stars. Yeah. yeah, and that's and the, and they decided to sign them early to keep them around. Uh, and yeah, there's risk involved in that for them, but I mean, it's also high reward if if these players continue on their track. But Correct. to me, the counter to that move may not be we got to match them dollar for dollar on opening day, but we need to be more aggressive in season because that's something that they're not. And to me, that's the adjustment. That's the that's the area where you can make significant improvement when it comes to being able to make the postseason run. I need, I need to correct myself. I said Atlanta has homegrown players. I meant to say they have some homegrown players and some Oakland-grown players, it seems, here with Olsen yeah. and Murphy, right? So, um, you know, they did they did make trades uh, akin to what the Cardinals do and then sign those guys long-term. So, uh, I mean, it's a good way to build a team, especially if it wins consistently. It's a remarkable way to build a team. All right, let's close here. It's the end of the year. All right, give me your player, your comeback player for the Cardinals. What's what comeback story are we going to be talking about in 2023 in the same way that we talked about Albert Pools? Doesn't have to be coming back home, but coming right. back. Who who's going to come back and help define 2023 for the Cardinals? Jack Flaherty. That's my guy. I mean, I mean that's my choice. I, I think that. He's got, I mean, it's been a couple of years of trying to get things physically right. Hopefully they've done that. 
Um, it's partly partly I'm leaning this way because they need it. Um, and let's be honest, he needs it. I mean, mm-hmm. he's going into free agency and he's young. And if he has a big year, he's going to get a huge payday. Um, I, I think Flaherty's the guy that I bank on for the comeback player. Super interesting, right? Like Carlos Rodon, how much money he got. Yeah, right. And doesn't that, isn't that fascinating what it kind of sets up mm-hmm. for uh, Flaherty if he has a full healthy year? I, I think that um, that's really the, an interesting comp. I mean, they're a little different, but it's a, it's really. No, they're about, different, but I'm just talking about like, like no, career yeah. track record. It's the right idea, right? I mean, you know, <laughs> Rodon, let's see, he had one, one season in his career above 150 innings and it was last year. Just happened to be um, this past year. Yeah. yeah, and and obviously he's he's made most of his starts for two years, which helps. So Flaherty won't have that, but I, I think that's that's actually the right idea. I mean, if he goes out and has a big year, there's no reason why he's not looking at a huge contract. Yeah, and the Cardinals will have another hole to fill in their own yeah. rotation. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably, and again, understandable. I mean, you know, committing a lot of money and a lot of years to a guy that's had several consecutive years of problems, and especially that they're shoulder problems. Yeah. It's concerning. I mean, it, I mean, it, it's risky unless you uh, unless you have some more p- payroll flexibility or you're more desperate. And it's funny because the Cardinals typically are neither of those things, right? They are neither the high end payroll nor are they ever desperate. That is the voice of Camo X's eleven twenty a.m. Kevin Wheeler, he's co-host of the Dave Glover Show. There weekdays, you hear him all over their Cardinals coverage as well. He's just become a fixture there at Camox. They they can't give you enough airtime, is what I'm learning. Is this that's what's going on? They yeah. they bounce you from show to show, you know, just because they cannot put you on the air enough. Is that right? I mean, they try. I, I they 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 asked if I could do the whole day, um, <laughs> and I said yes, but then they thought about it like, no, 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 that's too much. Yeah, that's, let's just pick. Let's just pick the afternoon drive period, and and we'll go with that. That's um, good. Yeah, it's been fascinating, man. I mean the. You know, moving away from full-time sports has been really interesting and fun. Um, and I loved working with uh, Chris Ranji and Amy Mark scores on the show. And I love working with Glover. So, you know, there's really like no lose there at all. The, the big win for me, Derek, is that I get to sleep a couple extra hours now that I'm working in the afternoon instead of... I mean, since you brought it up, we did record this a little later than planned because... Yes, yeah, because I'm stupid and I forgot to reset my alarm last night. You're such a college kid. I am. It's ridiculous. And I almost never do that, but I did it. You know what else I forgot today too, Derek? In, in all of this, I was also supposed to uh, bring my car in for an oil change and I forgot to do that too. When you texted me and said, I'm going to be a little late, by then I had already worked on getting a condo at spring training, <laughs> changed all the people who are traveling around and everything like that, now worried about the snowstorm. You're such a college kid. I am totally a college kid. Yeah, but I'm sorry at- for interrupting your uh, your your video game playing time with this. <laughs> no, I'm ne- this not this this is going to lead into work time. The video games come later. I appreciate the fact that you always take time to come on the best podcast in baseball. I go to you. I, I really appreciate our conversation. I enjoy talking baseball, and the listeners of BPIB, like the listeners of KMOX, cannot get enough Kevin Wheeler. So thank you very much, my friend. I, I yeah. happy holidays to you, and thank you for taking this time. The same to you, and it is one of my favorite things to do, so I will do this anytime, all the time. All right. Well, I will hold you to that in 2023. Call me tomorrow if you want. All right. All right. We'll we'll just do a part two. Uh, (laughs) That, again, is Camelox's Kevin Wheeler. You can find him at 1120 a.m. here in St. Louis and the 50,000-watt blowtorch that carries Camelox all over the country. 
He's there during drive time, afternoon drive time, and of course, you know, there to talk baseball too during the baseball season. You can find all of the Cardinals constant coverage or card- constant Cardinals coverage as I trip over it here at the end of the year at stltoday.com and in the pages of the Post Dispatch. The best podcast in baseball is available wherever you get your podcasts. It's available on iTunes where you can rate and review the podcast. You can also subscribe to the podcast. Subscriptions make the sponsorships possible, and sponsorships make episodes like this possible. The best podcast in baseball is a production of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, stltoday.com, and me, and it is brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. Kevin, happy holidays. Happy holidays to all of the listeners out there. Have a great new year, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good.